Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Assistant Professor in Exercise Science and Human Performance at Southern Connecticut University, Scott Talpey, and Associate Professor in Exercise and Sports Science at Federation University, Warren Young. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this episode with Scott and Warren goes down a little bit of a different route to, uh, to normal episodes. And that's on the back of a couple of job adverts that came out and a little bit, well, a lot of publicity around how universities are shaping their students to go into the applied world and eventually hopefully get a job. So these two guys obviously on two different continents but have worked together previously. Um, so all in all, three different continents on this uh, on this podcast with Scott getting up at a ridiculous hour to accommodate me and Warren. So Warren on Friday evening, me um, sometime in, in the morning. But we discuss uh, how universities are changing their course content to hopefully set their students up better for what's actually going on in the applied world. And Warren's doing an amazing job over at Federation in changing how they run things to try to pull in the expertise of of guys in the field to ask them what they want um, and hopefully guide a course that obviously fits the, the fundamentals but also allows the students to actually get some skills uh, of what can directly transfer to jobs out there in the field. So it's a really interesting chat and obviously different perspectives from three different continents. Obviously, well, two different continents plus me throwing in a few, uh, a few stories here and there with, uh, with regards to my experience. So it's a really interesting chat and although a little bit different, something really interesting and something that's going to take, definitely take a bit more of a, a front seat over the coming years as, um, as the job market gets more and more saturated uh, in strength and conditioning. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this, uh, this episode. You know, students have to, should do internships and, and pay their dues. But I, you know, I think that there's programs, those internships are embedded within the program itself. So the student doesn't have to go outside of the university to get their initial internship experience and kind of, you know, get their, get their feet wet. They do their initial interns and get their initial practical experience at the university as part of their course. But just before we do get into this episode, I want to say a big thanks to Vald Performance for sponsoring this episode today. So if you haven't heard of Vald Performance, they are the guys behind the Nordboard, the Groin Bar, and the all-new Human Track. So if you haven't heard of either of them three products, visit valdperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at valdperformance. So their all-new Human Track system is a motion capture system which integrates the Xbox Connect and four IMUs worn on both wrists and both ankles. So Human Track has been initially validated against the gold standard in Vicon with some really positive initial results with some more to come which will be openly available via the Valve Performance website when they do become available. So if you, like I said, if you are interested in getting to know about any of them three products, visit valdeperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at Performance. Also sponsoring this episode today is Force Dex. 
So big thanks to Force Decks for their continued support of the podcast. And if you are looking for a force plate hardware and software solution, visit forcedex.com. But also have a little look at episode 139 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So that's at strengthofscience.com forward slash 139, where co-owner of Force Deck, Dr. Daniel Cohen, goes into a lot of detail with regards to all aspects of jump monitoring. Um, it's certainly not a sales pitch for Force Decks, but you can get a real understanding of the capability and ease of use of Force Decks uh, as re- with regards to the, the software. So if you are interested, forcedex.com is their website and follow them on Twitter at Forstex. So without further ado, over to the episode with Scott Talpy and Warren Young. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I this morning I'm delighted to bring Scott Tapley and Warren Young to the podcast. So three, kind of cut the world in, into thirds, and we've got a representative from each one. Uh, one at very early in the morning, Scott. One at a reasonable time for me, and uh, one in the evening with Warren. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Hey, thanks, Rob. Yep, thanks, Rob. Uh, that's great to have you both. So, just a bit of background on you both. Starting with uh, starting with Scott. Just want to give us a little bit of background on you. Uh, maybe where, how you guys know each other, uh, and then what you're doing at the minute. Yeah, great. Um, so, just a bit of background about myself. I um, originally I did my undergraduate degree in physical education and coaching at Springfield College in Massachusetts, here in the northeast part of the United States. Um, after I finished that, I, I uh, was a physical education teacher for a few years and a high school football coach, baseball coach, basketball coach over here. And then um, I went and did a master's degree in exercise physiology at Southern Connecticut State University, where I'm at actually at the moment. Um, once I finished that, I uh, moved to Australia. Um, my wife is Australian, so it made it a bit easier. Um, I moved over to Australia where I did my PhD with Warren, actually, um, at Federation University in Australia and was there for about four years doing my PhD, two years as a postdoctoral fellow at the Australian Center for Research in the Injury and Sports uh, with Caroline Finch and her team. Um, And then I was a lecturer at Federation University for two years and then moved back here to the U.S. this past August, where I'm an assistant uh, professor in our exercise science human performance department here at Southern Connecticut State University. Sweet. Thank you very much. Over to you, Warren. Yeah, um, I'm an associate professor at Federation University in Australia, and um, there are multiple campuses of the university, but I'm in Ballarat, which is the biggest one, and that's about an hour and a half drive from Melbourne. Uh, so I started out uh, similar to Scott uh, doing um, physical education uh, at Victoria University in Melbourne. Um, then I went to Canada to the University of Windsor to do a master's in biomechanics with a particular interest in uh, jumping events in track and field. Um, then came back to Australia, um, got a job at the University of Ballarat, which is what it used to be called. Uh, that was back in the 80s, <laughs> long time ago. Um, and I guess teach in strength and conditioning, physical preparation for sport, 
do uh, research in physical preparation for sport, uh, supervise uh, student projects such as honours, uh, masters and PhDs such as Scott. Um, I also had a three-year stint at the Australian Institute of Sport, um, starting up a new role as a strength scientist. Um, did my PhD from that um, at Southern Cross University under Greg Wilson and Rob Newton. Um, done a bit of consulting with a couple of AFL clubs, including Andrew Russell and Stu Cormack with them. Um, and I guess now my new role that I've moved into at the university is coordinating a new Masters in Strength and Conditioning. You're both horrendously well-travelled, which makes me <laughs> feel inadequate. Um, but so the, so the reason for the, um, the the kind of direction for the podcast um, will be nicely framed if we uh, if I just ask one of you to kind of just go through the the structure, the popular structure of uh, an undergrad uh, and MSc courses, and that will kind of frame where we're going to take the podcast in terms of what makes what would help people out there um, understand what makes a good structure in terms of the undergrad and masters. So coming back to you, Warren, what in terms of the the structure of a course um, for someone that knows absolutely zero about this kind of thing, i.e., me, um, it'd be really nice to hear what the norm is out there for people that structure these um, these courses in uh, in universities, and then we'll move on to why you guys have done uh, certain things differently? Um, well, at the undergraduate level, um, I'm really thinking of exercise and sports science because um, there are separate degrees in uh, other aspects of sport like sports management or, or PE, which is really designed for PE teaching. Um, but in exercise science in Australia anyway, the content has become very much driven by um, accreditation in um, exercise physiology. Um, so there's a, a governing body called Exercise and Sports Science Australia um, and to be accredited with them, um, there's a fair bit of clinical content that has to be in it. So the content is fairly driven by that. Um, I guess also the, um, the way undergrad courses are usually taught are with various disciplines in isolation, so biomechanics, physiology, motor learning, um, and so on. Um, and in Australia, they're typically a three-year degree, uh, and then you can go on and do an honours, which would be a fourth year, and then postgrad over, over and above that. Mm-hmm. So with that, is, has that always been the case, that they are aligned with this accreditation, or is that something that's reasonably new? Yeah, it's, it's something that's, that's fairly new. Um, um, exercise science is so broad, um, and it's, it, it hasn't had much of a focus. So, uh, it's been really hard for graduates to know what job to aim for. And, and I guess this has given it a bit of, a bit of a focus because clinical exercise physiology, at least in Australia, is probably the most common job or career that follows from such a degree, although it does require postgrad um, training as well. So, what what kind of what kind of industry would that be? Um, would they settle into after the postgrad with with that kind of qualification? Obviously, a physiologist, but but where? 
Yeah, um, I suppose in hospitals, a okay. lot of them. Um, and, they're, yeah, they're working with clinical populations, so not so much with athletes. Do these guys know – do these guys – just an interesting point from my end. Do they know when they come to the undergrad that they're going to have to do a postgrad as well to get anywhere near the job that they want to do? I think they do now. Yeah, Because okay. yeah, a three-year degree is, is too general. So, um, yeah, there's always a pathway to some postgrad course, even yeah, whether it's uh, teaching – um, yeah, clinical EP or now um, strength and conditioning as well. Mm-hmm. So what, what problems do you see with this traditional structure? Um, well, I guess there are limitations by being influenced by that accreditation body. So it means that you can't structure the program exactly how you would want to. Um, I also... Uh, no, that, that's probably probably it, really. Um, mm-hmm. Scott might want to add to that. Yeah, so uh, here in the U.S., it's a, a little bit different where, I guess, our accrediting body, there's, uh, I guess, American College of Sports Medicine. Um, like our university, our undergraduate and graduate programs are accredited by the ACSM, but they don't really have the sort of um, – I don't know, like stronghold on what we can put into our courses. Um, so we have a little bit more liberty in, I guess, in what, what can go into them. And then from a strength and conditioning standpoint here in the U.S., we have the NSCA, obviously. And, um, you know, they're not an accrediting body, but you can become a uh, recognized education provider from the NSCA based upon the content in your, in your program. Um, so. Yeah, here in the U.S., I guess uh, we have a little bit more liberty in what the undergraduate program can look like. It's not really dictated by a uh, sports science or exercise science accrediting body so much. Um, but I would say, like at our at our undergraduate level, it's traditionally the same way. You know, uh, an undergraduate student comes in, they take their uh, exercise physiology, their biomechanics, um, their motor learning and those sorts of classes. And then from a strength and conditioning standpoint, kind of like what Warren was saying, um, they take this disciplines-based approach where you have, you know, a physiology of strength and conditioning, and then you have a little bit of biomechanics of strength and conditioning. And, you know, the practical side of things kind of gets lost in the shuffle, just trying to reinforce the, uh, I guess, the theory behind everything. And then the practical side kind of gets left, left behind. So, um, you know, one thing that I haven't worked with Warren um, for many years, I've kind of taken his his approach and kind of stepped away from the qualities like so um, it's not based around the physiology of strength and conditioning. We talk about it, but really our undergraduate course here at Southern has, you know, since I've been around, it's really focused on like um like why physical qualities are important. So why is speed important for performance? And then how do we train it? How do we test it? And then really going into the weight room or going out on the track or going on the field and and doing those in like in class and actually, you know, actually doing it, which is, I guess, a little bit different to how some, in my experience, how some of the uh, courses, undergraduate classes in strength and conditioning have been structured at at the university level here in the U.S., so just just from your experience, Scott, people that leave the university with that kind of course structure, what kind of what kind of skills are they leaving with 
compared to your experience of people who more maybe the more traditional traditional structure looking at like say biomechanics and so um our you know the university i'm at now has a great history of producing really good physiologists um you know really good exercise physiologists and you know they they're very well versed in the bioenergetics of of exercise um but i you know i having gone through the program that i'm at in the at the university that i'm at now um you know i always realized that it lacked having the hands-on sort of practical experience so i think the students would leave our leave a program and not have you know the ability to stand in front of an athlete or stand in front of a group of athletes and you know um coach them and you know provide cues and provide feedback for you know the ability to to write a you know not just a, a scientifically found uh, sound training program which is obviously very important but then how to implement that that program in an applied setting so um you know that's you know they were really good at science really good at theory really good at writing the program but then when it came to implementing it they weren't quite you know at at that level yet is that something that sounds familiar Warren? uh yes yeah but I, i'm i'm interested to know whether scott's undergrad degree is four years or three so our uh, undergraduate degree is four years. It's a four-year undergraduate yeah. degree. And then typically it's a two-years master's program after that. Yeah. Yeah, so ours being three, um, yeah, there are there are limited opportunities to, to get that practical experience, and that's why the post-grad um, courses are necessary. Although I've got to say quite a while ago we used to have a, a year internship for one student out of the whole year um and that was with the victorian institute of sport and so they would do that um and then come back for another six months to finish off their degree and that was a really good grounding um and people like uh, andrew russell who who you know mm-hmm. Rob, yeah, yeah. um went through that 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 process and uh that probably is really what kick-started his career so is that is that so it's one out of how many get that opportunity Oh, one out of whatever the year's intake is. That's varied for us um, from 30 to 100. Um, but we don't have that program anymore. So um, so now, yeah, now it comes back to doing postgrad. So in terms of your structure, what you have there, what do you see students leaving with in terms of their ability to take that knowledge and, and put it into the applied setting? Uh, do you mean after doing the bachelor's degree, the three-year degree, or yeah? So it'd be interesting to know what. Yeah, both would be quite interesting. What they have at the end of the BSc, and if they don't decide to do the postgrad, and what the postgrad can potentially give them in terms of employment. You know how they are set up for employment. Yeah. Um, well, at our university, um, in the three years, they do have quite a few uh, placements that they have to do, and. Um, Although they're given assistance, you know, they have to show a bit of initiative in the ones they choose. And I guess the students that are really driven to, to go into S&C or sports science and choose the best placements can come out after three years in a pretty good position. Um, but, yeah, I think they still understand they need to do uh, further study and have other opportunities to get practical experience. Mm-hmm. 
So you've changed the MSC course to a slightly different structure. You just want to explain how that differs from what we've just chatted about in terms of how things are laid out and what they get the guys come out with at the end of it. Uh, so AR Masters in Strength and Conditioning? Yes, the MSC in Strength and Conditioning, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, firstly, it's it's brand new, so it's only been going for okay. um, eight weeks. Um, oh, so, <laughs> so I can't tell you um, how it'll, it'll end. Um, I'm expecting it to be really good, but you want to know – you want to know what's different about it? Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, the main difference is that it's um, it's delivered face to face, and this you know there is a trend in Australia with post grad um, programs in in sport, whether it's master, uh, strength and conditioning or high performance sport, to be online with a very small practical component. And I think those um, programs suit people that are already working in the field um, and have the practical experience and the skills. Um, but I guess what we're trying to do is target recent graduates of exercise science degrees that have you know, reasonable knowledge, but um, they just haven't had the opportunity to develop those coaching skills and experience. And I think for employability in S&C, um, they need to have four things. They need to have the right knowledge um, about physical prep and that we try to cover um, all aspects, so try not to be biased to any one area like strength. Um, they need to have the coaching skills because essentially that's what the job is um, and they need to have practical experience and understand the high-performance sport environment. And the fourth thing is they need to have some sort of accreditation and in Australia the the standard that's probably been set is at least a level two um, with the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. Uh, so with the 18 months, they um, they have to do a, a couple of courses with um, placements and have to uh, log up at least 360 hours um, in, in the field. And hopefully um, we'll have some really good – Opportunities there in AFL clubs, in rugby league, rugby union, institutes and academies of sport. And um, thanks to Scott, uh, we've actually got one student going across to Yale uh, in the US as well. Oh, nice. So, uh, Warren, sorry. Oh, go on, sorry, mate. Go on, you go. I was just going to say I did a quick calculation um, yesterday and after eight weeks of classes, the students have done 42 hours of face-to-face -face tutorials and 42 hours of practical classes, and they've oh, wow. had visits visits to uh, Melbourne Storm, to the Victorian Institute of Sport, and to um, ESS Performance, which is a, a, a private strength and conditioning organisation that we have a partnership with in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, that that's a pretty good start, I think. Definitely. So are these are these students – responsible for sorting out their own placements or do the university help out with that? Uh, it's a bit of both, yeah. So okay. um, using using my networks, I guess, I try to uh, secure some for them and, and advertise it to them and then the best person will, will get the gig. Um, but they're free to, uh, to try to generate their own as well. Interesting that you are exposing them to something other than 
the kind of high performance environment like the Melbourne Storm, as in the the private facility, because that's something that I've discussed with a couple of people over here in the last 24 hours with actually exposing students to other opportunities, not just I want to work at Manchester United or Manchester City, obviously over here, um, and saying that, look, there is actually a little bit of left turn, a little bit of a right turn to, to do other things, but still stay in you know, staying in the industry itself. So that's, that's interesting. Is there a, is there a big kind of private facility scene in Australia? Um, I think it's growing. Um, yeah, okay. I, I wouldn't say it employs a huge proportion of, of the, the market in, in S&C, but it seems to be growing. And I think um, people with a bit of entrepreneurialship um, could, could, see that as a, a viable career path to try to start up something that way. Mm-hmm. So with that, so the, the structure of the course, um, do you just want to just describe what, how that differs in terms of the, um, the kind of modules that the guys run through, as in it's not a traditional um, uh, structure in terms of the, like we've discussed before with the biomechanics and the physiology and things like that, they actually focus on the aspects that are, crucial to being um, yeah. a coach? Yeah, Rob, it's exactly as Scott um, described it. So um, when I use the term course, I'm talking about like a subject or a unit of study. So there's typically four in a semester and two semesters in the year. So so there's a, a separate course on um, uh, developing strength qualities and that'll bring in the monitoring and assessment as well. Then there's another one on speed quality, so that includes agility and so on. Um, and there's another one on endurance qualities. Um, and then there's two separate courses on professional practice, which is the placements. Um, there's one on data analysis and applied statistics. So rather than just grabbing a typical stats course that you see in any university, um, we've tailored our own to make it more applicable to S&C, um, and a lot of it will be about, um, I guess, collection of data and how it should be reported to coaches. Um, and, of course, there's a research design um, component and, a, and an elective to do a research project as well. And um, hopefully the, if um, things are well planned, a student could do their placement with a sporting organisation and actually collect data and use that towards their research project too to make it really um, valuable for the organisation. So is, is this structure something that you just your knowledge of the industry and what you think is the best thing for the students? Or has this been kind of a bit of a collaboration with sporting organisations to say, look, the guys that are coming out of this university and other universities need something different? Um, yeah, like every, well, I've talked to a lot of people in in the uh, in the field, and every single one has been very supportive of the idea of a of a face to face delivery for a start. So um, yeah, there's been a lot of support for that. Um, but yeah, just talking to people, you know, like Scott, for example, we we thought a lot about how to put this together, and um, yeah, I, I hopefully it will be a uh, a successful structure. Mm-hmm. Do you have many distance learning uh, masters over there, Scott? 
Um, there are some master's programs that are predominantly online, but they're not necessarily in the strength and conditioning area. Um, they're more of a broad exercise science master's degree that's done online, and they're quite popular with like teachers, people that are in physical education, and they have to get a master's degree for you know for tenure and things like that. So they'll go and do their uh, a master's degree online because it fits their schedule. Um, there are face-to-face master's degrees in strength and conditioning, um, like Jay Dawes. Um, I don't know if you've had him on the podcast, but um, out in Colorado, he has a master's degree in strength and conditioning. That's that's face-to-face, and you know, just following him from afar, I know that they they follow a similar sort of approach that you know Warren does at at Federation University. Um, so, I think the the online in terms of strength and conditioning in the United States is the the master's programs don't necessarily do that. They are still face-to-face. Um, and Springfield College, where I did my undergraduate degree, does also have a, a really good master's program in strength and conditioning as well. But I think what differs in the United States compared to Australia is a university sport system. Um, you know, for example, here at Southern Connecticut State University, we have 463 student-athletes who train every day for their sport, and we have the facility right outside my office door. Um, you know, so that makes for good opportunities for students to get practical application. Um, you know, we have a very good strength coach uh, at our university. His name is Dave Hashemi. And unfortunately, we're div- not unfortunately, but we're a division two university. Um, and due to budget, Coach Hashemi is only part time. So what that allows me to do with our students in our undergraduate program is and once they become certified strength and conditioning specialists for the NSCA, um, they can basically take a team. And so they would work with Coach Hashemi as a strength coach and work with myself to make sure that, you know, their programming is is on point and their delivery is sound. And, you know, we can kind of blend that practical application without having to travel too far. Um, so it makes for a good situation um, here in our, in our system to do that. Uh, we also have an and Warren mentioned it before, is uh, we are very close to Yale in terms of location. They're about a mile away from our campus, and you know their um, their facility and their athletes are at a Division One level. And Coach Harris, who heads up the strength and conditioning at Yale, and Tom Newman, who heads up the football strength and conditioning at Yale, have a phenomenal internship program um, where students who that come through my class in strength and conditioning at at Southern Connecticut. You know, we they can go there and they do their internships, you know, with with the Yale football team and the Yale lacrosse team and and so forth. So, you know, we're able to get really high quality um, practical experience or placement opportunities for our, our students that, you know, they don't have to go and work necessarily um, to go and find them. That makes makes sense. Mm-hmm. So do all, all the students have the opportunity to work in your in your system, or is it just chosen ones, just a, a couple, or is it you know well, mandatory that all yeah, go through it? Uh, the students who express specific interest in strength and conditioning and sports science. So you know it's not you know, everybody at an undergraduate level has to take our strength and conditioning class, um, mm-hmm. and then of those hundred plus students who take our you know, our undergraduate strength and conditioning class, there's probably 20 to 30 of them who are 
maybe a little less, who are genuinely interested in making a career out of strength and conditioning. So, you know, I work closely with them and find them opportunities uh, within our athletic department. They work closely with Coach Hashemi, um and the head coaches of those sports at the at the university. So, um, yeah, so it's basically is it's the cream of the crop in terms of the students who are interested in strength and conditioning. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Warren and Scott. I hope you're enjoying part one. So more of the same in part two, discussing uh, more about employment and how universities can change things to actually maximise uh, the opportunity for students to uh, to gain employment once they leave. So and we also finish off with uh, favourite books, which is obviously a, a great um, part of the podcast, which I know people have asked where it's been and, and if it can become more regular so um, Scott and Warren give their most influential books right at the end but just before we do get into the part two with these two guys um, just want to say a massive thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today so if you want to know more about Fatigue Science I would encourage you to check out an episode I did a few episodes ago with Ian Dunican. so Ian delves into, into Fatigue Science's uh, biomathematical modelling um, in terms of how that biomathematical modelling helps uh, helps athletes optimise their sleep, especially on, on long-haul travel. So what it basically does is you plug in your time when you need to be uh, at your best, whether that be a game, whether that be for business people that they're meeting, uh, and, the, and obviously the time zones that you're going to fly through. And that will calculate when you need to be asleep and when you need to be awake. So obviously expo- exposed to light and, um, and away from natural light. So really interesting chat with Ian Dunican, and I would uh, encourage you to check that out. Not only for info about, info about fatigue science, but just, uh, just sleep and recovery in general. So massive thanks to Fatigue Science and you can check them out at fatiguescience.com and on Twitter at Fatigue Science. So over to part two with Scott and Warren and hope you enjoy. I know universities are obviously up on the, the figures with regards to how many of their students uh, get employment in the industries that they've chosen. But do you know, have any kind of success stories out of your place or any statistics that have, you know, 90% of people work in the industry after three years or, or, or something to that to that ilk? Or have you, um, do you know of anyone personally that has got, you know, jobs off the back of uh, coming out of your program? Um. Well, I've only been at this program like as a as an acad- as an academic for you know a, a year, um, and so personally, the students that I've had to deal with not yet. I mean, we have your know, students go and they you know you kind of touch upon this before, but the private sector in the U.S. is much bigger than the private sector in in Australia. So you know there are quite a few of our students who do go and get really good jobs at you know private strength and conditioning facilities that cater to high school athletes. Um, so off the top of my head, I mean, there's there's a few students who are working as assistant strength and conditioning coaches at, at Division One universities um, from, you know, in other aspects of exercise science. Most of our students go into, you know, some sort of clinical, clinical area. Um, but obviously, we're working to try and improve the, you know, the strength and conditioning employment outcomes for our, you know, for our students at the moment. Yeah, so I can't give you a specific example of a recent graduate who's out there just because I haven't been there for too long. 
Rob, can I follow up on on something that uh, yes, Scott said? Um, obviously, in the US, there are a lot more jobs in SNC than there would be in Australia. Um, so, I guess we're also realistic that we don't want to um, graduate, you know, too many students that are not able to get jobs um, here. So, um, the other thing that we do is keep the numbers really small. So under 20 um, every 18 months, um, which I think creates a more sort of intimate environment and um, and it, it helps me, for example, teaching them really know them well. Um, so I almost think of them like a, a squad of athletes and, you know, I think that, that helps too. How many could you take, Warren, if that wasn't the goal? Uh, oh, I think, I mean, the university would like us to take as many as possible because of the financial uh, gain. And I think that's why the online um, programs are, are pretty successful because it does generate a fair bit of income for the, for the uni. Um, but, yeah, I just couldn't do that morally really because I know that graduates would be coming out and not, not being able to get jobs. So you think you'd get double that? Um, double 20. I, I don't know if we could get that many, but, um, I, I mean, we could service that many, whether that, whether we'd be able to uh, attract that many, because being face to face, it means people pretty much have to live in Ballarat or in Melbourne, um, because they could easily, they could commute from, from Melbourne. Um, but that limits people's, um, viability of, of being able to do a face to face course like this. Course. So I was trying to a friend yesterday who works at a university over here and we were discussing his the first class that he takes, which was rather amusing. And it it was there's always an example of of some random job that comes out or internship that's uh, needs a PhD and et cetera, et cetera, but it actually doesn't um, no one gets paid for anything. And the, the one that came up recently was the uh the one at Irish rugby, which was yeah, I sent you guys the link, which was horrendously um, long and detailed. Uh, MSc, PhD, desirable, um, you know, research experience and um, yeah, data analytics experience and visualization experience and all these kind of things. But it was actually free, um, and he runs through it through something similar, depending what the the job uh, that's come up recently, and asked the students uh, how much it would, uh, how much they expect the person to get this to earn. Um, obviously they're throwing random numbers out and obviously the actual answer is zero um, to which they are shocked and appalled and reconsider walking out the room at that exact moment. But um, where do you, where do you see the industry is at, at the minute with regards to that type of situation where people are advertising for massively overqualified uh, positions that are actually unpaid? And don't know if it does go on, over in the US or, or Australia, uh, that's obviously just my experience uh, from over here in the UK. But what is that? Is that kind of rife um, at your two respective side of the world? Warren, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, I don't think it's quite that extreme in Australia, but there there are similar kind of internships. But I think because um, there's so much competition, there's so many um, graduates of exercise science <clears throat> each year that come out of. Um, universities that um, I think they fully understand that they have to 
volunteer to gain experience and to be immersed in that high performance environment. And every successful SNC coach I've talked to have said that that's how they started. So that, that really is expected. But I think the example that you gave is probably crossed the line when uh, it's totally unpaid. It's full time. Um, and, and it's for an extended period of time, like a year. You know, I can understand a full-time commitment for a few months would be good, or even an extended one that is part-time gives the student a chance to do other things and to earn money. Um, but, yeah, when it's the way you described it, that sounds like exploitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ironic thing is after that, and there was all a, as, as happens with social media, which is a good thing on this occasion, um, the HR department came out and said it was a mistake. They uh, it had been released um, by accident, which was which was rather amusing. Um, I think everyone just expect them to just put their hands up and say, "Look, we we messed up," but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But is it, does that go on over there in the states, Scott? Well, obviously, there's internship programs, um, but I haven't seen it. Like Warren said, I haven't seen anything to that extreme over here. Um, I think you know, going back to the university system in the US being a little bit different is. You know, students have to should do internships and and pay their dues. But I, you know, I think that there's programs and, you know, Southern Connecticut, where I'm at now, we're moving towards this model is those internships are embedded within the program itself. So the student doesn't have to go outside of the university to get their initial internship experience and kind of, you know, get their get their feet wet. They do their initial interns and get their initial practical experience at the university as part of their course itself. So they're, you know, it's, they don't have to go out and pay for it or anything like that. Then, you know, if they want to continue in that path, then there are bigger sort of internships out there that might take, you know, a year and be embedded within their master's program at a, you know, at a larger university. Um, So, well, I think that that's a, you know, that system is, is a lot better than, you know, that, that example you provided about Irish rugby, um, you know, if there's a way that you can embed the internships into the learning experience at the university, then it's kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a win for the student. It's a win for the, the university's athletic department. It's a win for our exercise science department. Um, so, you know, those internships are structured a little bit differently here, here in the U S if they were to go outside the university and provide and, and get an internship elsewhere, how much influence would the university have on that internship itself on the structure and the kind of outcomes that these guys um, go through? Or is it something that, and this may, I don't know if that happens in your, uh, your area, Scott, it might be one for Warren, but yeah, how much is it, how much is the university involved in them type of inter- internships? Or is it, more, you know, it's an internship, off you go, rather than the influence, yeah. this is what they need, this is what they need to come out with. So it's kind of interesting you say that, um, you know, Dr. William Lund, who's the head of our, you know, undergraduate exercise science department, he's just restructured the internship model we have here at our, you know, within our exercise science department. So we are now going to have closer contact with the supervisor at them. And as a student goes in there, they're structured or sorry, they're you know, they will be assessed on a specific project. So that coach or whoever they're working with, um, you know, 
wants them to, you know, have a specific um, task and, you know, they have to, whether it be writing a program, whether it be testing an athlete, uh, testing a team of athletes and so forth. So they, they do it. They are, there's a strict investment criteria that they're, they're marked against. Um, so it's not just off, here you go, go observe for 40 hours. It's, you have to go, you have to be actively involved and we're going to be actively communicating with your supervisor to make sure that the experience you're getting aligns with what our goals are for a student going out for an internship. Um, so yeah, I think previously it was a little bit off you go and we'll see in, you know, see at the end of the semester and, you know, we'll have an informal discussion on how things went to now. Um, you know, you have a specific task you have to do. Um, we are going to be in communication consistently with your supervisor. We're going to go out and we're going to observe you in that in that environment to make sure that your learning experience is is a beneficial one, not only for you, but also for the, you know, the person that you're working with at the, you know, at the at the team or the club or the personal training, uh, you know, the private facility um, sector. Is it the same over there, Warren? Um, uh, something that's a bit uh, different here, which um, is becoming pretty common, is a lot of universities have um, partnerships with professional teams. Um, and so there's money that changes hands with those teams and they, um, they use that to have an, an exclusive uh, access so that the students do a, a placement or an internship or maybe a... Um, a postgrad research study with the team, and you're, um, you're you're familiar with Sam Robinson. He did a uh, a podcast for you, didn't he? And Absolutely. He's yeah, he's did, yeah. sort of yeah. in that role uh, with the Western Bulldogs, the AFL team. Um, and in in AFL, there's also uh, Deakin University, which has a partnership with Geelong, um, which means they get exclusive uh, access to those teams. So where do you where do you guys see this going, this kind of evolution going to, to kind of try to bridge the gap between academia and the applied world. Pray come to, to come back to you, Scott. Yeah. So, well, I think that you know, as academics, I, uh, you know, I, I think we, you know, more like pracademics is a term that's thrown around quite a bit. We need to be more practical, and we, you know, need to, you know, something like that's. Warren and I both have coaching experience. Um, so, you know, we can sit down and we can talk to a coach and, you know, we don't speak in this hoity toity academic sort of language. So, you know, we can, you know, we can sit down and have a, a conversation where that, that coach knows that we know, you know, not only the science side of things, but really when you get into practice, sometimes the, the science doesn't always come to fruition. Um, so I think, from an academic standpoint, we need to be more practical in, in our approach um, and work more cooperatively with, with coaches and not kind of tell coaches this is what you should be doing, but kind of understand what the coach is, is thinking um, and how they go about their practice and then, you know, preparing students for, you know, what they can expect in the real world and then, you know, kind of really work together and collaborate um, and then, you know, if they have a question or they have a problem that they need answered, you know, through research or through some sort of data analysis, then, you know, we can put on our academic hats and, you know, help them answer their, their problem. 
So I guess really, you know, what it boils down to is from an academic standpoint, the people who are teaching the class need to understand what it's like in the, in the real world. Um, and we need to adequately prepare our, our students to be able to do it. And then once that kind of happens, I know that's the kind of a broad goal, but once that happens and we have that communication between academics and between coaches, um, then we can start preparing our students appropriately for the job force. What do you think, Lauren? Yeah, I agree with, I agree with Scott. We need to recruit the right people that know the high performance environment. Um, and yeah, we need to find the time in our programs, whether it's, um, embedded into them or whether it's through placements or internships to develop the coaching skills and also to actually get, gain experience to put them to practice. I remember going and doing my internship. Um, it was only a part-time because I was working at the time. I was a little bit older. And uh, we were still looking at heart rates uh, in quite a bit of detail at the time. We didn't have GPS. This was probably 2011 or something like that. And I was in charge of um, cutting the uh, cutting the trace up and 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 logging it and things. And my, that was my first job on my first day was to ex- have the guy explain um, what I was supposed to be doing. And um, I, I just I panicked. And I'd done my I'd done my undergrad, and I said I, I've never ever seen this before. Should I know this? Like I've just I've done my degree. Surely I should know this. And the guy just started wetting himself, laughing. He's like, Of course you haven't done this. Like this is what goes on in the real world. This is not what you you learn at university. So I was like, how is that? Sure, them two things go together, but obviously in that scenario, maybe not. Um, yeah. Can I can I add something, Rob, real quick? Yeah. So you know, I've been thinking about this quite a bit over the last you know couple of weeks. Is you know, when I was an undergraduate student and I was studying physical education, you know, the first week of the first semester of you know, of classes, we were in a classroom with, you know, they were young kids. We were one-on-one with, you know, with a, with a student in a physical education environment. And we were, you know, working on throwing skills or catching skills or, you know, things like that. Um, so, you know, taking my experience as an undergrad in like kind of teacher prep and using that sort of model into like a sports science strength and conditioning model where each semester you're you know, you're overloaded. So you start out working one-on-one with a, with a young, with a young kid, probably like five or six years old, working on a fundamental movement skill or motor skill. And then, you know, by the time you get out in your senior year, you know, we spent, you spend a whole semester in front of high school kids, uh, you know, you know, teaching, teaching them. So kind of staging, you know, staging the learning experience kind of like they do in teacher prep programs but making it more of like a coach prep program. So each semester they're giving a bit of experience, whether it be one-on-one and then progressing all the way up to a, to a whole group session in a team environment where you're in front of, you know, you're in front of 70, you know, large American football players and you have to command your presence and implement the program that you've put into place. Um, so, you know, maybe from an exercise science, strength and conditioning coach prep standpoint, we can learn from the physical education teacher prep model and try to embed those sorts of learning opportunities into undergraduate programs. And ultimately, you know, by the time that student gets to a master's in strength and conditioning, they, they know how to stand in front of a group and they know how to uh, implement, not just write a program, 
but implement a program in an actual real world environment. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So one last thing that I want to ask. Oh, sorry, mate. Were you going to say something, Warren? Oh, I was just going to say your example was an interesting one and uh, about, you know, feeling a bit out of your depth and not knowing what, what was going on. But um, I, I guess that's what we want to prepare students for, just expose them to the technology and to the, the, the I guess, the, the current issues in the field so that when they do go out there and, and in a placement that they feel um, you know, they 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 can converse with people, and they're 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 not not totally in the dark. You know, so they're familiar with uh, Nordics versus uh, isometric hip extensions, for example. Um, yeah, that sort of thing. No, I agree. I mean, you know, did you just open up a can of worms, oh, Warren, with your Nordic? <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> just, I'm sure we won't go into that. <laughs> That has amused me. That has amused me. Um, yeah, when I went to the football club for the first time, I'd, I'd had an insight because I'd I'd been there uh, a couple of years previous uh, as a player. But when I went, I had no idea. Like to the, to the point of we were collecting RPEs, we were collecting um, RPEs in the gym and RPEs in the uh, on the field, and I didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue. We'd looked at heart rate. Didn't have a clue. Um, looked going through gym programs, and I, I did a. Um, I think it was called Spot and Exercise Science. Never written a gym program in, in all of that three years that I was there. So it was just a complete new experience to everything that I was coming across was completely new. And But I'd done this undergrad for the last three years. So, yeah, that was my that was my experience. Um, but last but not least, uh, something that I've asked uh, quite a few guests over the last couple of months, and its favourite and most influential books that have um, that you guys have read. We'll come back to uh, we'll come back to Scott first. It doesn't have to be a, um, a sports science strength and conditioning book, but it obviously can be. Um, uh, over to you. Uh, a couple of in- influential books uh, over your career that you've read. Yeah. No, I've heard you ask this question to pretty much everybody on your podcast, so I've prepared. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Most influential book I would I would go back in when I was once again when I was an undergrad at, at Springfield College we had a book called Children Moving, um, and it was kind of like our, our textbook for how to design you know uh, lesson plans for for young kids in a physical education setting and they had this this thing called the uh, movement concepts and skill themes wheel where you know it's it's basically like long term athlete development but at that time I had no idea really what long-term athlete development was. Um, so I really used that book as a basis, you know, when I was just starting out writing, you know, at the time it was lesson plans and not programs for athletes, um, you know, for how I should structure a physical education class to teach kids, you know, quality movement skills. Um, so that was really influential for me. And then, you know, when I wanted, I realized I wanted to get into coaching right around the same time. And I read a a book called When Pride Still Matters, The Life of Vince Lombardi. Um, And, you know, that really, it was inspirational to me. It helped me, helped motivate me to understand that the impact that a coach can have in an individual's life. Um, So that was really influential. And then the last one was when I was a high school baseball coach, one of my first tasks was was writing our off-season conditioning program. And that's when I realized that my undergraduate degree in physical education kind of gave me just enough knowledge to be really bad at writing training programs with for athletes. So um, 
I went and I picked up a 52-week baseball conditioning, a book by Gene Coleman, who is the strength and conditioning coach for the Houston Astros. Um, and that really opened my eyes to everything that goes into writing a program for, for an athlete population. And then once I read that and wrote that program, I realized that I really needed to upskill in the area. And that's when I went back and did my, my master's degree so I could become a better strength and conditioning coach and understand what went into, when, what went into a program. So I guess those would be my three books, Children Moving, um, uh, When Pride Still Mattered, and 52-Week Baseball Conditioning by Gene Coleman. Yep. Nice. Over to you, Warren. Um, well, the first person that probably influenced me in the early days was, uh, as you're showing my age, but uh, <laughs> Dietmar Schmidtlacher from Germany. Uh, not so much a book, but just his, his work. Um, and then also in a similar time, um, the Science and Practice of Strength Training by Zatiorski. Um, yeah, I, I really got a lot of insights from the, I guess, the European approach to strength and conditioning. Um, and then more, more recently, like contemporary days, I would say, um, high performance training for sports by David Joyce. And probably the one that I'm still trying to get my head around. Um, but is going to be influential, or already is with other people, is Franz Bosch's uh, work, so the strength training and coordination and integrative approach, because it's quite a different way of looking at s and C. I I can't believe we've come back to that. <laughs> I can't just crawl back under the table. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. And where can um, – back to you, Warren. Where can people – if they want to reach out for questions or discussion, what's the best place to, uh, what's the best place to find you? Yeah, probably email. Um, so w.young at federation.edu.au. Cool. And Scott, what's the best place for you, mate? Um, well, I'm, they can find me on Twitter. It's S underscore Talps is my Twitter handle um, or email, which is Talpy. S1 at southernct.edu. Cool. What's, what, just go, just um, read me that email address again, Warren, please. Okay. W, uh, w.young yeah. at federation.edu.au. Perfect. Got the wrong way around. Cool. Just write that down as you say it. Well, thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate it. And, um, Scott, special thanks to you for having a little nap and then getting up at 2 in the morning to, uh, to chat. So really appreciate it. No problem, Robert. I appreciate it as well. Nah, thanks, mate. And thanks, Warren, for uh, giving me a Friday evening to have a chat. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Pleasure and good to talk to you again, Scott. Yes, was. I'll be in touch. <laughs> cool. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. See ya. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to episode 188 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Warren and Scott for giving up their time, especially Scott for dragging himself out of bed to uh, to speak to myself and Warren. Uh, and also big thanks to Val Performance, Forstex and Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So really cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to press subscribe on your chosen podcast player. And if you've got this far, you're obviously enjoying the content. So if you are, uh, if you have time, please leave an honest rating and a review. If you are an iTunes listener, and that will go a long way to uh, encouraging other people to, to listen to the podcast and uh, and get the information that the guests provide. So 
uh, that'd be massively appreciated if you could do that. Um, but if not, I will speak to you in episode 189 regardless. <laughs>